Hey, welcome to the Church Planting Podcast. My name is Josh Taransky, and I have in studio with me today Clint Clifton. We're going to co-introduce today's episode, which is my interview with Doug Logan. We're actually going to take the interview, split it into two parts. So this is going to be part one. Next week, you'll hear part two. Uh, Clint, this episode um, is available because you had Doug guest speaking at a church planter training at McLean. So give us a little bit of context for Doug Logan. Yeah, I I will. Uh, But before we do that, I want to let the listener know I've been I was listening to the church planning podcast the other day and I was I was sad for the listeners because they don't get to uh, see Josh Taransky. They don't they don't know (laughs) know who's the man behind the microphone. And uh, yeah. And so I was I was thinking if you want to do yourself a favor, you could go to the Internet and just Google Josh Taransky and see what comes up um, because uh, he's not what you'd expect. I showed up to meet Josh Taransky for lunch for the first time a couple of years ago and we showed up at the restaurant and I had a great conversation. I left the restaurant and I called my wife and said, I just had lunch with Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> <laughs> he looks he looks just like. Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, you, uh, you you might be thinking of the Revenant version of Leonardo DiCaprio don't no, don't do that no because you're definitely that the Titanic version of Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. so anyway just wanted to insert that for the listener who who Thanks doesn't know that. yeah <laughs> back to Doug Logan though yeah um, man uh, Doug is we were just talking uh, before we turned on the microphones we were just talking about the fact that uh, everybody's talking about the urban context, but nobody has much to say about it. You know, I mean, there's there's no experts out there. Everybody has recognized that in in the world of church planting, that the cities are important, and um, and we've got on a philosophical level some help from like Tim Keller and the like, but um, practical on the ground, experienced, theological instruction on urban ministry there's not a whole lot of places to point to right i mean there's just not a lot of guys that have done it and have a mind to write about it or whatever so yeah doug's unique it's very true i I think that that comes up maybe in this first episode where i i I talk to him about resources that are out there and and he struggled to name some Mm -hmm. Uh, and even when you listen to a keller keller's writing to uh you know a new york city where you have these you know working professional professionals upwardly mobile and Doug is talking about when he talks about the urban context he's talking about the block right you know he's talking about the hood right um which is a completely different paradigm right. to go into and we're recording this right now in Baltimore we're sitting in, in, in downtown Baltimore right now in the city you work in and man the guys that are that are making any progress in a in a context like this Baltimore is a tough city and the guys who are making any progress they don't have any time or even mind to write think they can barely keep their head above water with the work they're doing the the difficulty levels high the dangers high the expense is is crushing them they don't the sustainability is not in in plain sight anywhere in the future so the difficulties of making disciples uh, not not even thinking about multiplying churches but making just making disciples in, yeah. in a church are stacked on top of each other in urban context yeah yeah uh, Dehati Lewis has a good book, um, something about wolves. Yeah, among wolves. Among yeah. wolves, great discipleship book when you're serving in an urban context. Um, but yeah, this is this is a great 
great great content. We had a lot of fun together yeah. uh, interviewing. He is one of the livest wires I've ever worked with. Yeah. yeah. He's just, <laughs> I mean, he, uh, he always is having fun and he's always saying something that's uh, halfway controversial. And I just love being around him for that reason. Um, he's a guy who intensely loves Jesus. He intensely loves his family. That comes out in almost everything, every conversation you have with him. Um, and he intensely loves um, his his city and his local community and the place he is. He's he's transitioned uh, into a role where he's trying to to help practitioners now rather than being one himself. But um, but he's still deeply embedded in in an urban church uh, in Richmond, Virginia, right now. And man, I just have tons of respect for Doug. Yeah, Amen. All right. Well, here's part one in this p- two part series. Okay, Doug Logan. Doug Logan's in the house. <laughs> You're the author of a book called On the Block. You are the pastor of Epiphany Church in Camden. Uh, fill in the gaps. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. What's native to you? Where were you born? Man, I was raised, ruined, and resurrected in the state of New Jersey. So I was born in Patterson, New Jersey, which is North Jersey, close to Manhattan. And um, by God's grace, planet back in 2011 in Camden, New Jersey, which is um, right to almost touching Philadelphia. So top side of the state, bottom side of the state there. Um, yeah, man, I served Planet um, Epiphany Camden there. I was planted by Epiphany Philly, um, which is led by Dr. Eric Mason. And they saw I was, I was dual sent by Epiphany Philly and 10th Presbyterian Church in Philly. What's distinctive about Epiphany churches? Man, I think what's distinctive about us is we we believe deeply in engaging the cracks and crevices of the often unreached inner cities and um where we're crazy enough to go into those places, those dangerous places, and just believe God can do something. That's not to say we're more special than a guy that goes to the suburbs. But often what's neglected are those inner cities. And um, God has just graced us with some weird missiology (laughs) and his grace to get there and see um, many people come to know Jesus. So a big deal for us is conversions as one of our core values. So we are going hard to see people meet Jesus. We're not just trying to get people to come to us because we're a cool church. We really want people in the city that hate God to meet them, know them, and love them. And so we go hard in evangelism. My book, of course, reflects that, that we are on the block. We're not a church just in the building. We're in the building too, but we're on the block as well. Yeah. So let's go back to being in Patterson. Uh, You were raised in an urban context. Absolutely. Uh, So did you have a front yard? (laughs) I did. I did. I did. So North Jersey is different than like, like different hoods around New Jersey. When I think about Newark, New Jersey, like that's my dad grew up. Like he had no front yard passion. We had a little something. When I go to my bros in Trenton, they had nothing. They just got the stoop touching the um, sidewalk, just straight sidewalk stoop into the door. Right. Right. Now I had a front yard. I had to cut it and rake it. Nice. <laughs> nice. And shovel it. So what what uh, what teams did you uh, root for? Root so for? growing up, I was a hardcore first, you know, I'll go stages. Eastside High School is where my whole family went. So I, I, I rooted for everything Eastside High. Um, their basketball, their football, they're in Patterson. 
Um, second, I was a big Syracuse Orangeman fan because I was a Big East guy. Um, third, I was, um, I'd say about four till 10, four to 12 Jets. And then about 12 to about 14 Giants. And then Tampa Bay Bucks from 14 till today. Nice. The Bucks. Sorry, man. <laughs> we won the Super Bowl in our lifetime. That's right. That's right. There you go. Okay. So um, what kind of sneakers did you want to have when you were 10? When I was 10, I wanted Pro Keds. Nice. The blue ones particularly. And um, there's a pair of sneakers I grew up. Two pair I loved. There's a pair. Of, there's a company called Spurs. I love Spurs and I loved... Um, just Chucks. I love Chuck Taylors. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so now you're a family man. Yes. Uh, you're married. You have kids. Yes. yes. What are uh, how many kids do you have? I have three kids. Been married um, 23, 24 years now. I always get that number wrong because I'm old. But um, <laughs> yeah, man. So my youngest is 21. My oldest is 31, and I have three grandkids. Well, and how long were you at Epiphany, Camden? I was there from 2011 till 2018. And so tell the story of kind of what that plant looked like. Well, um, um, Dr. Eric Mason, who was my past, my father in the ministry, man. So when we were there, what he was doing in Philly, a lot of people tried to call it the hip hop church, but it wasn't a hip hop church. It was a church committed to engaging the hip hop culture, which is made, which most inner cities are made of, you know? Um, and so, I loved what he was doing. I happened to be uh, uh, trying to replant a church in the city then. And then I was interim pastor at a PCA church for a season for about a year. And so when I left there, I went over with Pastor E and he said, man, we're going to plant you. Where are you thinking? And um, I thought it was a neighborhood called Germantown, um, which was very diverse. Um, I'm an interracial marriage. So we thought, man, God could use us to go to one of the most diverse neighborhoods in Philly at the time, which was Mount Airy, Germantown, two neighborhoods actually, but right on that cusp. And then I remember uh, Phil Riken, pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church at the time, said, I don't believe God's calling you to to um, Germantown. I believe God's calling you to Camden. So I was like, Phil, you take your little pretty self over <laughs> and so um, I, And so I tell that story and um, people always laugh. But yeah, so... Phil did that. I went back and I told Pastor E that I felt um, that that Dr. Riken had said that. And he says, I believe the same thing. I says, y'all been talking. Mm. And um, and so he said, no, nah, I ain't talked to him. You, you're crazy. So, yeah, so they both believe. So about two days later, me and my wife drove over to Camden to prove to them that God hadn't called us there. And my wife just wept and wept and wept. And I remember her mm. statement was very profound on the way back to the bridge. I pulled over. She was crying. And she says, Doug, it's like the devil pulled up here, whipped out a vacuum and sucked the hope out of this city and out of these people. We there's got to be we got to get a church here. I said, we're going to pray that somebody comes and plants a church here. And then I drove back across the bridge back to Philly where I lived. (laughs) And then, well, if you know me, I go to bed at like 8, 8 8 p.m. So it was like 10 o'clock. Lord was stern in me. So I went back over to Camden around 10 and I, too, broke down in tears and Mm. felt the same thing she felt. And we went. So going mm. to Camden, our whole idea was to take um, the gospel to the 
inner cities in a way that was um was was church planting not a soup kitchen not a youth ministry not um a bunch of parachurch ideas hoping that someday a church would form out of there. I saw all those models and I'm not mad at the guys who did them. I just believe I'm a great commissional dude. Like I'm taking that gospel to the block. If I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I believe that the city of Camden and inner cities in general need churches, not just parachurch stuff. And so often guys do the parachurch trying to lay primer of love to hopefully then lay the paint of the gospel. I'm saying Home Depot's got primer and paint in the same can now. Hmm. So I wanted to go do some, I wanted to use parachurch stuff as a part of my, you know, the evangelization of the city um, as um, I would become indigenized into the city along with our core group. But overall, we wanted to plant a church and we believe planting a church was taking the gospel and seeing people hear it, embrace it, believe it, be baptized. And we mm. just want to grow a church that way through conversion. Yeah. And so we went to do that. And so that took on a different strategy because most of the, a lot of the models in the inner city were, you know, youth groups getting started, um, homeless shelters, mm-hmm. having services there. We just didn't want to do that. So we supported youth stuff there. We supported homeless shelters, but we wanted to plant a church. So we went in to do that. And by God's grace, man, uniquely three families moved in to that city. One um, who took over for me, Pastor Ernest Grant. The other one, Pastor Trevor Chen, who was the executive pastor at Epiphany Baltimore. And my, we all moved into the city almost on the same block. And we just begin to engage the city, sharing the gospel, having cookouts, inviting people over. And we watch people get saved. And that was the goal. The goal was to build through conversion and through attraction. So we wanted people to join, too. We weren't saying we don't want believers to join. We wanted them to come, too. Sure. But, but we still wanted to go hard for the lost. And by God's grace, our church was almost like 40, 45 percent conversion. Wow. Yeah. Man, that's great. So you, when when um, Philip Riken and um, Eric Mason talked to you about this idea of going to Camden, were you already in the mindset of planting a church or just generally called to pastor? No, no, I was in the mindset of planting. I was in the residency. Okay. So I had started the residency in 2009, like January of 2009. And so this was about, I don't know, that summer. Because I've been talking Germantown. Right. I had a Germantown proposal. Wow. Um, oh, so you were, you were down, the, down the road a bit. Yeah, because the residency was two years. So I was six months in, and then I got up to speak. And, um, yeah, and so. Wow, that's wild. And so, yeah, it shifted hard that day. How would your wife describe you? Um, she would say that I'm crazy. Um. As she would say, hype and hyper. And she wouldn't say hype. She would say hyper. You too hyper. Calm down. Relax. Just chill. Watch TV. Relax. Stop moving around so much. Um, um, she would say I make her laugh. Yeah. Um, and how old were your kids when you went to plant this church in Camden? Oh, gosh. Man, you about to make me do math. And I can't even have my phone. Did um, they, were they t- teenagers? Were they little? 
gosh, so 2011. So my youngest is 21. My middle is 22. My oldest is 31. 31 was um, stayed in Jersey when I moved to Philly at his grandma's. Um, so, so I guess we're backtracking nine years from 21. So they were young teens. Yep. And so your your spiritual heroes were supportive. Obviously, you're taking your kids at a crucial age into a pretty dangerous context. Absolutely. Um, and probably when you kind of left, went to conferences, people are asking you, "What do your kids think?" How did you answer that question? Well, um, I pastored and fathered for several years with, uh, with, uh, um, I think wrongly, I did, I did not take, uh, opinions well. I didn't listen well. And, um, my wife challenged me very strongly around 2006, 2007 about that. And, um, she just pushed on me, rebuked me and, um, she came short of smacking me, um, <laughs> by God's grace, man. And, and that was a wake up call for me. So I began to realize that I had been a bully. I had been in the name of, I'm the priest of this house and all of that ridiculous stuff. And, um, it was ridiculous and I repented man and wept and, um, and I repented to them particularly. I called, I remember I called the family meeting and I just confessed my sins to them and mm. they was like, cool, let's roll. Nice. And so I just told them, man, we're going to Camden. That's what we're going to do. Mm. What are some deal breakers and some deal makers for you? And so my kids just told me, man, they just wanted um, their own rooms. Um, they still wanted to go to Philmont Christian Academy in Philly, which is like an hour from Camden. I says, we're not doing that. Right. <laughs> and so they were happy to be back closer to their grandma back in Jersey. And so, yeah, man, so I, and I talked with my wife. My wife just... Um, she had very simple requests that I made sure I clicked on all those cylinders yeah. and, um, yeah. And, and I just stayed in conversations with those regular meetings all along the way to make sure that they weren't just saying yes mm. to shut me up, to make me happy. But I wanted their yes to be a real yes. And I wanted their pushback to be a real pushback. So we continued the journey of those open family meetings where they could rebuke me and challenge me. Second thing I put in place to help my sons was I have them discipled by other people, not me. Cause if I make you take out the trash and put you on punishment for bad grades and then preach to you and disciple you, when do you get to complain about me? And so I set them up with men in the church who I love and trusted and those men discipled and they had full clearance. They, they, and they weren't running and telling me, Right. You know, those kids business. But when the kids complained about me and they needed to talk to their discipler and say, my dad, you know, was getting on my nerves. Would you talk to him? They would. And I really respected that. And I think my relationship with my boys has grown immensely through that time. That was a critical time in my life. I could have went a different way and I could probably not be sitting here. If not for that rebuke of my wife, I could probably be church disciplined. Um, for just being a jerk. and um, But, man, thank God for a rebuke of a wife. Thank God for the grace and the gentle kindness of the Holy Spirit to move to conviction. And, man, and thank God for some forgiven sons. Yeah. So 
that's that's the kind of we'll get more into church planting and and what you did in Camden, but you don't there anymore. You're in Richmond, Virginia. So what is your role currently? Currently, I serve at Remnant Church. Um, pastor Brian Laughlin is the lead pastor there. Laughlin, I always say his name wrong. Um, my good friend, good bro. Um, and I serve as the pastor for church planting there. Um, I also am the co-director of Church in Hard Places, which is the urban ministry arm um, reaching the urban poor through Acts 29 Network. And I serve as um, director of diversity for Acts 29 as well. Mm. Interesting. So is Acts 29 as a network um, trying to be more diverse? Absolutely. I mean, diversity is booby-trapped into the Great Commission. However, networks can be formed in and around um, people and personalities, which Acts 29 and many many, um, networks are. And so we just wanted to make sure that we were intentional um, if we, because we did miss that in the front stages. Um, we, How does that work? Is Acts 29 saying, hey, we're like too white, and so we need to. Well, I, be I don't want to say we're too white. We are too white, um, but I don't want to say too white because that would make white intrinsically bad or something. Mm-hmm. I want to say that we're not, because white's not. Um, ask my wife. And um, I want to say that we were not looking like great commissional dudes if the great commission is all nations all ethne if it's everybody we weren't doing that and we didn't have a concentration on intentionality or an aggression to that area you had a few urban guys in acts 29 and we were loved appreciated supported and in leadership yet we didn't have an intentional aggressive movement towards making sure that we are getting to the cracks and crevices in the block, in the hard places across the globe. And so um, an opportunity came where that conversation happened with me and Steve Timmons. And he says, Doug, um, one of our collaboratives and one of our um, values that Matt Chandler came up with as he came in was to be a radically diverse and radically diverse required this all nations. We had to define what all nations meant, what the Great Commission means, what Acts 1-8, the great witness means. And it meant not just cool white churches. And we're happy that those churches are planted, people getting saved, people are coming to Christ. But we didn't want to stop there. We wanted this thing to have the aroma mm-hmm. of a Skittles network, not just the red M&M network. And so um, so I was brought in to do that, Yeah. Um, to zoom in on that and do that. And you got to remember, a lot of African-Americans don't just walk into white networks, you know, yeah. We, we we don't know how to navigate. A lot of times we don't know how to navigate. And if we don't, we don't want to. We're not, we don't feel, I don't, I didn't feel safe in those spaces. Eric Mason brought me in and people like Ed Marcel and those guys brought me and talked to me, loved on me. Steve Huber, those are pastors in Acts 29. But everybody, African-Americans and Latinos and Asians didn't have that. And so I became that. So I stand at the foyer mm. um, and say, yeah, man, we good. You good. Come on, man. You love that. You love Jesus. You love that gospel. You want to see people saved. You walking in godly character. You're biblically qualified according to the text of the pastor. Well, we want to see you plant a church. We don't care um, what it is. And don't worry about a whole lot of white dudes in the room. They, they good. We love them. They safe. And they're going to love you, support you. And so we just wanted to make, we wanted to mix. We wanted to go from just 
Captain Crunch and mix it in with make some Crunch Berries. Nice. And Captain Crunch, we wanted to mix it up. So help uh, help a, a white guy out here understand <laughs> what uh, is the tension. So you've got a guy who's a black guy feeling called, or maybe an Asian guy or a Latino guy who feels called to pastor, and he's he's like standing outside the lobby, and you're there in the lobby. What's what is he wrestling with? He's wrestling with his cultural background his church background. Maybe he comes from a non-reformed background and maybe he comes from a tradition where they wore robes and had choirs. Well, that's completely, you know, not what Acts 29 has been. Those churches have not existed with us. And we're saying, um, don't, that's, don't let that stuff hinder you. Mm. We choirs are not sinful. Robes are not sinful. We're not mad at that. We want to talk about this gospel. We want to talk about mm. your theology. We want to talk about your character. We want to talk about your family. First um, Timothy three is built around character, not gifting, and it's definitely not built around the culture of robes and and um, I, identity issues with methodologies of churches. So we want to hear about your character, and we can discuss what ministry looks like, the most effective, the most wise, the most healthy mm. with you because we're here to help. We're not just like a gang where, you know, you join in and it's whatever. No, we're here to help nurture you, grow you, develop you, and help you with our best practices based on our best failures. Yeah. And so we stand at the door. So now a dude from Church of God in Christ who normally wouldn't be an Acts 29 guy who may have come to be reformed and finds himself feeling homeless, but he has an affinity towards Acts 29. He hears, he loves, he listens. Man, we're saying, come on. And then they might say, well, everybody calls me Pastor Diddy. Well, Diddy, man, you know, I'm from such and such church. I don't know if they're going to mess with me. We're going to mess with you. Don't worry about that. I ain't, I ain't scared of your robe. I don't wear no robe, but I ain't scared of your robe. We want to talk about that gospel, that mm -hmm. heart, your character, your calling. That's what we want to talk about. And um, God's yeah, been good. coming on in. And so that's what we've done. So I stand at the door, and I, we're not going to let culture keep ethnic minorities from being a part of Acts 29. Now, if you're an ethnic minority and you're disqualified, that's going to stop you from joining Acts 29. Right, right. But, we don't, but we're not going to let robes and language block us. We, no, sir. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's uh, talk a little bit about um, the block. You so you have written a book called On the Block, right? Mm -hmm. And then reading through it, you're oftentimes using that word just on the block. Mm -hmm. So when you use that word, what um, paint the picture? Uh, maybe for somebody who grew up in the suburbs, they didn't grow up in an urban context. What what is that setting? Well, when you think of the block, think about where. In the urban setting, in the inner cities like Detroit, like East St. Louis, Illinois, like um, like Newark, New Jersey, Patterson, where I'm from. Baltimore. Baltimore, of course. Yep. Um, Wilmington, Delaware, Los Angeles, Com Crenshaw, where I was just at a few week, a few months ago. Like <laughs> those high concentration of ethnic minorities, diversity, poverty violence, drugs is the general reality of the urban poor. And of that urban poor, people in those centers aren't screaming they're urban poor. They don't call it the hood. They call it home. And right. so life happens on the block. Um, 
the, the physical reality of the block is the city block. But the block is goes beyond that in the hood. It takes a life unto itself. Yeah. It's the block is where the kids are in the fire hydrant playing because we're, we have stand up swimming pools that squirt at you on the block. The block is where um, there's drugs being sold on this corner and they have enough respect to put it away when the preacher walked by. That's the block. The block is where basketball happens. The block is where fights happen. The block is where kid young ladies play jump rope. The block is where um, love happens, respect happens, unity happens, violence happens. It's the action, the activity of the urban people, the urban dwellers in there. It's not the physical place per se, but it is the action and activity. It's where, you know, there's a there's a there's a slogan in one neighborhood in Camden called Parkside. Um, and it says Parkside, where Camden happens. Mm. And so the block is where life happens. Yeah. It's where life happens in the inner city. Hey, are you a pastor that wants to lead your church to reproduce? Well, I've got something for you. It's called Church Planting Thresholds. Church Planting Thresholds is a simple, step-by-step, gospel-centered guide that will help you guide uh, someone from your congregation to lead a church planting team out somewhere else. Many pastors tell me that they don't have the expertise, they don't have the money, they don't have the resources they need to start a new church. Well, I don't think that's true. The only resource you need to start a new church is a ready leader. So even if your church is very small and you don't have a lot of resources at your disposal, if you can disciple a man to lead a team of people out from your church to start another new church, then you have all that you need to reproduce. Church planning thresholds will help you do it. Church Planning Thresholds is available in English and in Spanish. It's even available as an audiobook. You can find it at Amazon or on audible.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Church Planting Podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode.